0: Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode 11 of the Locust and Honey Podcast. Join us as we discuss, I had a dream? If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. Jeremiah 23:25 I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name saying I had a dream I had a dream How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood even those prophets of the deception of their own hearts who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream But let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish the people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Well, hello and welcome.
1: Go ahead. I interrupted you. You can say hey. I was just so excited. Hello.
0: And welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. My name is Matt. I'm Andrew. And this is... The Locust and Honey Podcast. (laughs) Which we have already covered. Yeah. We're glad that you're here today. Today's gonna be a, a good episode. This is something that me and you have talked about a lot. Yeah. It's a topic that we have talked about. If things sound a little bit different today, it's because we're recording this in my dining room. Yeah. So, I feel like I'm in a cave. It just sounds echo
1: Yeah, it does sound a little echo Also, I don't want to say his name or else he'll come back. The dog... <laughs> is uh, walking around and doing a bunch of slobbering noises. So if you catch some of that, then...
0: It's not Andrew.
1: It's not me. It's so my make boxer. Sure that, yeah. 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 Well... Now he's drinking from the toilet. you <laughs> <laughs> <I can't laughs> put that in the
0: podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andrew. What are we talking about today?
1: Today we're talking about prophecy and tongues.
0: Ooh... So, cessationism versus continuation? Yes. All right. What would a cessationist say?
1: A cessationist would say that the apostolic gifts, so prophecy, tongues... Healing. Healing, stuff that you see kind of in the book of Acts, ceased at the end of the apostolic time period. So, once the apostles had died, those gifts ceased and are no more.
0: So, what would a continuationist say?
1: Well, a continuationist would say that... Those gifts continued even through the end of the apostolic era. Gotcha. Um,
0: So we're going to be talking about tongues, prophecy, and healing today. Yes. And can I do them today or not? That is the question. Cool. All right. Well, before we get into that, I had a question for you. Mm -hmm. What are you into?
1: I am into... Honey and tea? Yes. I I was about to say, I'm into healing from sickness. Oh. (laughs) So... Saturday, we went to a parade for our beloved Georgia Bulldogs in Athens, where they were giving speeches and all this stuff, and it was at Sanford Stadium, and it was freezing cold, and we were outside pretty much all day, and so I think from that day, I got sick, and I got a cold, and it just knocked me out for a couple days, and I'm finally getting to the end of it, and it's still in my voice and stuff, so we're going to have to kind of bear, bear with that. But that's what I'm into right now.
0: Well, cool. That was super uplifting and exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, it should be uplifting. Everyone who's healthy can be like, at least I'm not like that guy.
0: That's true. Yeah. And then we rejoice in your getting better.
1: That's right. Oh, I did want to talk a little bit about the crazy story that we had when we were going into the stadium.
0: Let's talk about it.
1: So they had what was called the dog walk, which they had before every home game. And they did it this time. Well,
0: and they did a parade before it this time. Well, and they did
1: a parade before it, yeah. So the parade was going on, and they get done with the parade, and it ends at the stadium. And then going from the players leave the buses from the parade to go into the stadium, people kind of line up, and they get to see the players in person and the coaches and everybody walking. Usually there's a good bit of people, but this Saturday, past Saturday, there were just tons of people, way more than usual, Way, way, way more than usual. And um, the other thing that happens is that the dog walk typically happens about an hour and a half, two hours before the game. Well, this was happening 30 minutes before the ceremony started. Right. Well, it was not so because what happened was everybody from the dog walk and the parade, they all came into the stadium at one time, which usually on a game day wouldn't be the case. And I think that nobody was really prepared for that. Of people that were and there. so we got stuck on the bridge. There's a bridge that is kind of next to the scoreboard at the stadium. And it took us about an hour at least to walk 70 feet. Yeah. So that was insane. I've never been a part of that before.
0: Awesome. What are you into? Well, we drove up to North Georgia, like I said last week we were going to do. And I right now am into overlanding. All right. So overlanding would be taking your vehicle into remote areas that you can camp and all that stuff and having what you need. Basically, it's camping out of your vehicle. Hmm. It's a big word that has a huge umbrella of things that it means, but what it means for us is being able to camp out of a truck. And so we were up there in North Georgia and we were talking and one thing that we want to do is go up there more often, let the boys kind of experience being in the mountains and all of that. So we're going to do that more often and so I am into making my truck a little more capable at storage, mm-hmm. which it's not because it's got the bed. Yeah. So I'm going to be getting a soft topper for the back of the truck that we can take up there and then we can use the bed of the truck for storage and tents and all that stuff even though the boys are both about to start baseball we want to start going up there more often And so, I think the next month or two, we're going to try to go up there a couple times. Let them hang out in the mountains of North Georgia. So, that's kind of what I'm into right now is uh, getting the old F-150 ready. I've already got big tires on it and a lift and all that, but just uh, working out some storage stuff. Yeah. Well, cool. Cool beans. Mm -hmm. So. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of transitions. (laughs) All right. So. How you want to start this today, Andrew? Well, I guess. So would you say that you are a cessationist or are you a continuationist?
1: I would say that I'm a cessationist, and I think that makes people think that you believe that God can't do certain things. I believe God can do whatever he wants to do, but I do believe that the gifts that he has given the church have ceased. The, okay. Not the gifts, but like the gifts of healing and prophecy and speaking in tongues have ceased once the apostolic age ended.
0: Okay. So, why are we covering this topic today?
1: Well, I think that it's something that is big in the. Obviously, it's not going to be that big in the secular culture. We say speaking the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture, but it is big in the church culture. You've got so particularly with worship. We w- we had a podcast already on worship and the regular principle and things like that. Yeah. But in today's modern, I guess, evangelical worship climate, I think that this is something that is prevalent, not so much speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing and in the worship songs themselves, and I guess amongst a majority of the people that are worshiping, but a lot of the churches that put out the songs that we sing on the radio and stuff like that. hmm I would say, subscribe to these things. And so it all comes from that place. Not all of it, but I mean, a lot of it kind of comes from that place of kind of just like this charismatic idea of that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. So you've got the the charismatic movement, which is kind of what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Right. And with the charismatic movement, that's kind of a big umbrella. Right. So within that. There's a whole bunch of different strands of people that have different thoughts, but then still hold to the one thing that unifies them would be the gift of prophecy, tongues and healing. Right. And so that's kind of what we're trying to to talk about and tackle today is how does that affect us today, the church today? And you and I are both cessationists, which means we both believe that the gift of tongues, healing and prophecy ended with the apostles hmm So let's dive into why we believe that. You want to tackle them one at a time? You want to take the lot of it all together? How you want to do it? Well,
1: I mean, we can do kind of the overarching reason for cessationism and then kind of take it one at a time. Okay. So as far as like the overarching reason for uh, cessationalism, I would have to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll start in verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So this is kind of my reasoning, and I know you you probably would have more to expand on, but this is kind of where I guess the nail that drove the, the nail in the coffin right. for me, is that we see here the church is being built, right? The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. And so you've got this foundation being laid and then building being built up into a dwelling place for God. And so I think that the gifts— and things that were given to the apostles were part of laying that foundation. And so once that foundation was laid, it was laid. yeah and then you don't lay two foundations to a building, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, you see this structure and I believe that the the gifts of prophecy and healing and tongues, were given to the apostles for the for the purpose of laying the foundation of the the church, and then now that that's done, we go to Hebrews. But when we go back to Hebrews chapter one. Uh, It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. So in Hebrews one, it says that in past days in times before God spoke to our fathers through the prophets and in many ways, right? Yeah. But now in these last days, he speaks to us through his son, his son being the word made flesh, right? Right. So the Word made flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, is the way and the means that the Lord speaks to us now. Those two passages there, Ephesians chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 1, are kind of my go-tos for, I guess, defending what I believe is in that area. Yeah,
0: no, I I agree with both of those passages. And ultimately, what we're talking about here, when we're talking about tongues, healing, and prophecy— what we're talking about is how does God speak to his people? Right. So when we're speaking in tongues, the purpose of tongues is for God to speak the truth of his word to people. And that's why it's important that there's an interpreter there. And Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, don't speak in tongues if there's not an interpreter there. Right. And then with prophecy, when he's talking in and, and so a lot of where we're going to be talking is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and then also in chapter 14. What he's saying is when the church is meeting, you can have these people prophesy, but they need to be prophesying one or two and then everybody else judges what's going on. Healing is for the purpose of validating the message that's being spoken. Signs were given to confirm revelation. Tongues were given to for people to hear revelation and prophecies are made for people to hear God's revelation. Right? So when we're talking about all of this, what we're talking about is how does God speak to his people? How did he do it in the past? How did he do it in the new Testament? How does he do it today? And so that's the issue that we're talking about is how does God speak to us? Does he speak to us through dreams and thoughts and pictures and signs and all of that? Does he speak to us through his word? Does he speak to us through all of that? And and so I'm going to really kind of spend most of the time in prophecy because all of these other things point to prophecy anyway. Mm-hmm. And the biggest issue that I have is with prophecy. So when we're talking about prophecy specifically, prophecy today, New Testament prophecy is what some people call it. But when we're talking about prophecy, it goes head to head with sola scriptura. Right. Sola scriptura would say, Scripture alone. And this is what the Reformers fought for. This is one of the the major foundations of the Reformation was sola scriptura. Scripture alone is all sufficient. But if I'm going to hold to prophecy today, then I'm eroding the sufficiency of Scripture. John Owens, who is a a favorite Puritan of mine, he said something that I've thought before, and he just kind of Put it towards I'm like, hey, I thought that too, so I must be in good company. But one thing that he said was, if new revelations conform to Scripture, they are not needed. And if they go against it, they are to be disregarded. So if new revelations conform to Scripture, then they're not needed because God's already given it to us in His Word. And then Scripture says, if new revelations go against Scripture, they're to be disregarded anyway. So what's the point of new revelation? Right. You know, what we would hold to as cessationists is that God has fully revealed himself through his word and that we need no other form of revelation. We don't need dreams. We don't need signs. We don't need all of that stuff. We don't need somebody coming and saying, God told me this because God's fully spoken to us through his word. Right. Jordan Standridge. He wrote a book uh, a couple years ago, but one thing that he said is that what continuationists have done is they've turned prophecy into unreliable, infallible statements. So we're taking prophecy and God's Word, which always was reliable and it was always infallible. Anytime that God spoke through prophets, it came true. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing now when we try to make prophecy something post-apostles, we're taking prophecy and we, we've made it unreliable and fallible statements that people make. Right. So therefore it carries no weight anymore because when God's people spoke in God's name and they said, thus saith the Lord, they're not speaking in their authority, but they're speaking under his authority. So it wasn't them saying, thus saith the Lord, it would be a good idea for you to do this. Uh, when the apostles were speaking, when the prophets were speaking, they were saying, God has said this, You can't interpret it any other way, and you have to obey it. Right. Because I'm not telling you what I think you should do, but this is what God has spoken to you through that individual. Mm -hmm. And to further prove what they're saying to be true, then we see signs— and wonders and healings and all of that. And, and that just validates the prophet.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the reason again, part of the reason why it is a subject that we've discussed often is because I just got out of college recently, so a lot of my stories and stuff comes from my recent years in college. And down in Savannah, you've got just a ton of different viewpoints on this that I had never experienced growing up. At some point, I became the leader of this, you know, one of the leaders of this ministry we have on campus, and we had to kind of navigate these waters because they were starting to push in on kind of what we believed as an organization. So kind of as a result of being in that climate during that time, you know, I had several instances where I would encounter people who'd be, you know, prophesying over someone or prophesying over me and I think that what you said it kind of takes me back there, where you were saying that the problem here is that you're replacing what's infallible with what's fallible, right? Right. You're replacing the words of the Lord that have authority and have clear meaning that is that are true and that will come to pass because of the words of the Lord with words of men essentially that are not being tested really. That, well,
0: yeah, and the, we'll we'll kind of jump into this. Yeah, too. We'll, we'll
1: jump in. I guess we'll jump into that a how, little bit. How
0: there's not a way to test it,
1: right? Because biblically speaking, if a prophet's wrong one time, that's it. You know, they're a false prophet. Yeah. We don't tend to do that anymore. So So where you're
0: at, Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or someone who has a dream arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you— And that sign or wonder he has promised you comes about. But he says, Let us follow other gods which you have not known, and let us worship them. Do not listen to them, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul. You must follow the Lord your God and fear him. You must keep his commandment and listen to his voice. You must worship him and remain faithful to him. The prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he has urged rebellion against the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery and turned you from the way of the Lord, your God has commanded you to walk. You must purge the evil from you. Also, it talks about a prophet whose prophecy does not come to pass Mm -hmm. and the same thing. So the test of a prophet is, is what they're saying actually happening and are they pointing you to Christ or turning you away from Christ.
1: Right. And 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 so I think that today obviously we we don't it's more of a game. It's not a game, but it's more of like a if someone like back back in college, right, if if we, someone were to prophesy over somebody. I know of several instances where someone was prophesied over in that the, whatever the prophet prophet, quote unquote, said was completely wrong, right. you know, then it was kind of like, well, the prophet doesn't, it, that was just a bad one. You know, he can move on and, and mm-hmm. make more prophecies and maybe one of them will be right. Maybe one of them will stick. You know, so, when, there's scripture says. Right. And when if, we're talking
0: about this, though, you know, what what's predominant today is that if God gives somebody a revelation, right. whatever that may be, it can be partially right. So Wayne Grudem, what, what he said is that New Testament prophecy It isn't equal to or on par with Scripture, but it's still God-given and needed. And so he's made this new space for God revealing himself. God is infallible. He is without error, and everything that he says does come to pass, but now— New Testament prophets, they can be given an infallible revelation and mess it up within themselves. So it can be halfway true or 75% true, but it can't be 100% true because it's coming through man. Right. But that's we don't see that in Scripture. Right. In in Scripture, we see anytime God speaks, and this is what I was going to say is, how does prophecy happen in the Bible? When we're looking at Scripture, how does it happen? And every single time prophecy happens, we see, thus saith the Lord. From John the Baptist, who I think is the the last and the greatest prophet, then we see Christ, and then he ushers in the apostles. But these are all people that were revealing God's word and truth to us, and all of them, thus saith the Lord. You know, they're speaking on behalf of God, and they're not messing up, and it's not a partial truth or a half truth or a 75% truth. It's 100% God's word. God speaks clearly, he speaks concisely, and he speaks inerrantly through them. So what this New Testament prophecy, it's creating a new lane where you can be right or wrong, but then it's just you that messed it up, not the revelation.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. and,
0: and, but we don't see that scripturally. We see that at the early 1900s with Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that it's helpful. And the reason I open with Jeremiah 23 is because God's dealing with that to right. those people. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long should there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy these lies? and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has the dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. I think that's it right there yeah you can have dreams and you can have visions and you can have prophecies and let those people do that but don't claim that as god told me this right you know because the very next word but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully we have been given the full revelation of god's word every verse the people in the new testament did not have the full completion of scripture the people in the old testament did not have the full completion of scripture so they did have prophets, right? Uh, and that was a uh, in in First Corinthians thirteen, we can see even in the early church there was still this need for the gift of prophecy, and you had people prophesying, but you had everybody coming together and weighing that and testing that, just like in the Old Testament, they're making sure that what they're saying one is adding up with Scripture and pointing people to Christ, and then two that what they're saying is coming to pass and that it's true. So there's the same standard for a prophet in the New Testament as there was in the Old. But then when John passes away and the apostles are no more, then there's no longer this need for prophecy because now we've been given the full revelation of God's Word right. to us. So the gift of prophecy ceases because it's no longer needed. That also ties into healing where the signs were given to confirm revelation, but this dies with the apostles. Mm-hmm. There's no longer somebody who has... The gift of healing. So like when Benny Hinn goes around smacking people in the forehead and he's quote unquote healing them. Um, another thing from the book by Jordan Stanridge, his book is called Three Reasons God is a Cessationist. He said what continuationalism has done, it's we're now speaking in unintelligible languages, confirmed, there's unconfirmed and unprovable healings that happen. And then as I said, it we've turned prophecy into unreliable fallible statements. Right. And so all three of these gifts we've lessened them to what they were to continue to do them but well yeah there's it- no biblical support for that
1: and it, you know, like I think about when, um, and I heard it recently, we both listened to this particular podcast. It was kind of funny.
0: You can give him a shout out.
1: Well, it was the Theology Applied
0: podcast. Old Joel. Yes. Yeah. Joel, if you listen to this, which I know you will, because our podcast is just blowing up right yeah, now. It's just huge. Hello and welcome to the Locust Honey Podcast, Joel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I didn't think about it in one of the store the points that they were making was like when Jesus heals the paralytic, right? Uh Um, The Pharisees are questioning his, well, he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. And the Pharisees are questioning his authority to forgive sins. Jesus's response is, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk. And the guy was, stands up and walks. Yeah. And so you've got this immediate testing and passing of the test by Jesus and his authority right, right? um and, and and so you've got that you've also got and they were and we we're probably getting into tongues a little later on there's this testing there that that happens right. immediately cuz a guy stands up and walks. He gets up
0: and right. walks or he doesn't.
1: And that kind of... And healing, I think, is one thing that's kind of starting to be talked about a little bit more where you hear... Well, I think a
0: lot of that is because of Bethel in well, their school. Right.
1: That and then also just different things that have come out about Hear stories of people at Benny Hinn Crusades and they'll come and they'll be completely paralytic. I mean, they'll be in a wheelchair or something. Well, that's not the guy who gets up to the stage. That guy is yeah. hidden because it's going to be obvious as to whether or not Did you see the he one healed.
0: where Benny Hinn smacked the guy in the wheel? chair in the face and he fell backwards? Yes. In his wheelchair and standing in his wheelchair.
1: Yeah, that's just that's the complete opposite of what Jesus did when he healed the paralytic. I mean, this was in the public square in front of everybody, in front of the Pharisees, in front of everyone. And he immediately put it to the test. He said, what's easier to do? What's easier to say, I should say, not easier to do, but what's easier to say? Yeah, You know, your sins are forgiven, which is not necessarily seen in the moment, or pick up your mat and walk, which is. Right,
0: I I completely agree. And so what we're not saying in this, though, is— We're not saying that God does not heal people today. Right. God does whatever he chooses to do. Mm -hmm. So there are people that are healed and the Lord's doing that. And apart from him moving and working, there's no other way that that person gets healed. We affirm that 100%. What we're saying, though, is that's not a miraculous sign of somebody with healing. Right. What we're saying is that somebody... Like, you look and you see in the the New Testament church, people that Peter's shadow touches are healed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see apostles raising people from the dead. We see that kind of stuff happening, and, and that's what we're saying has ceased. There's not a person that can go into the hospital and touch all the people in there, and then they're going to walk out completely healed of their diseases. Right. We don't see that happening. What we do see is God using the church and prayer and things like that to bring healing to people, but that's not somebody that has the spiritual gift of healing. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're rejecting. We're not rejecting that people get healed. All right, so let's talk about tongues. What are your thoughts on the gift of tongues?
1: I think that today you've got two different schools of thought with that, but I think that one of them is more prevalent. So you've got the one side which says that the gift of tongues is used like it was in the Old Testament, or the New Testament, I'm sorry, in Acts with evangelism and going to, say, you go to a foreign country where they don't have scripture accessible yet in their language and you speak in their language. Right,
0: which is predominantly what in the early 1900s, everybody that's pushing Pentecostalism, what they all affirmed was that when it came to tongues, it was known language, the language of men, and they also affirm that it was for the purpose of evangelism. Right. So people are given the gift of tongues to be able to speak the truth of God's Word for the purpose of salvation. Right. Nowadays, what like what you're saying, mm-hmm. there's, there's people that still affirm that, but then there's also people that would say, God has given us the gift of tongues, whether to prove a, a feeling of the Holy Spirit that we're regenerate, or He's given us the gift of tongues so that we can have this personal prayer language
1: yeah. So, kind of like an angelic language that is between the individual and god to bring about intimacy right and i and i would i don't know but my hunch is that i feel like that's a little bit more prevalent today than even the evangelism side
0: it is and that goes back to what we were talking about so with healing and I think you were going to talk about this, but with healing, you don't see many people that claim the gift of healing because you have to see them heal people. Right. And so the same thing with tongues. If we're saying that God has given me the gift of tongues, then I need an interpreter. And nowadays... I can't just say, well, God's given me the gift of tongues and I'm speaking Aramaic, Mm -hmm. you know, because somebody can go and research and see, oh, well, really, you're not. You're just making up a language.
1: More people know more languages now, I think.
0: And so that can be tested. But when you say I'm speaking an unknown language, it's the the language of angels, Mm -hmm. then that can't really be tested. right? And so people have more leeway in that there's not this testing process so when we're talking about prophecies the test of a prophet is what they're saying does it come true and then also does it conform with God's revelation that he's already given us or does it contradict it right then with the gift of tongues the way that we test that is if if you're saying that you're speaking in Farsi and then I actually know Farsi I can say well no you're not that's right just gibberish you're not saying anything uh, that can be tested as well but if I say that I'm speaking in the tongues of angels, then I can you can't say whatever I want to say. can't contend that, yeah. Right. So I think that's why we see more people go that direction. And I think that's why it's important to note that when all of this started, nobody thought that it was tongues of angels. Right. In fact, the only time we see that is in 1 Corinthians when Paul is is talking to them about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And what he's doing here too is he's using the right sense of the gift of tongue uh, versus the gift of tongues. And when they're speaking in a tongue, it's a known tongue and a known language. And then he's also getting onto them though for misusing that gift and talks about that with speaking in tongues, the tongues of angels. But so what he's saying there in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, and I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. (laughs) But his point there is no matter what language I'm speaking in, he's not saying that there's this gift of tongues, of men and this gift of tongues of angels. It's the only time we see that. And what he is making clear with that is that this gift was actual languages and it, and it's established in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. It's not a reference to any special angelical language. In fact, there's no teaching anywhere in the Bible on any special angelic languages that people could learn to speak. Right. So if we're using that passage as, well, I'm not speaking in the tongues of men, but in the tongues of angels, which is this unknown language, there's nowhere else in Scripture where that's referenced. And this is all not making that point of deciphering between men languages and angelic languages. It's saying any language under the sun, I could speak in anything, in a made-up language, but if I do it without love, then I'm doing it wrongly. It's the point of the passage.
1: Right. And I know in verse 8 it goes on to say, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Yeah. So we've got the complete canon of Scripture. Right. I mean, we've got the perfect Word of God. Mm-hmm. We don't need additional or partial or par- yeah partial words to add on to the complete perfect word right. of God, because the definition of perfect is perfect. You
0: know? Wait, the definition is the.
1: <laughs> well, the definition isn't, but perfect is perfect. There is no <laughs> adding or taking away from perfect. There you know, know, know
0: what I mean? No, I, I completely agree. And what I would say in all of this is if scripture alone is all that we need, then There's no need for the gift of tongues today. There's no need for the gift of healing, and there's no need for the gift of prophecy. It's sola scriptura. God has given us his full revelation in the Word of God. And just like what John Owen said, if new revelation conforms to Scripture, then it's not needed. But if it goes against it, then it's to be disregarded in the first place. Right. And that's my biggest thing with all of this is, We don't need new revelation. We don't need new prophecy. We don't need new tongues. We don't need new prophecy. We don't need people speaking in tongues because God has fully revealed himself through his word to us today. And my argument is those gifts have ceased because if we continue to do them, it's this lesser thing. And like what you said, to go back to Hebrews chapter one, it says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. So that's our whole argument right there is that long ago and in many times and in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers through all these different ways, whether it was dreams or riding on the wall or a donkey speaking or fire from heaven, heaven, or a a bush (laughs) that's not being consumed Mm -hmm. by fire. God has spoken through dreams in all of these different ways. But ever since Christ, He's spoken to us through His Word. Christ established the Word of God, like you said. John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word of God made flesh, poured that Word into 12 men, And those 12 men also had signs, and they had prophecies, and they had all this stuff. They were apostles. They're establishing the church. They're working on behalf of Christ. But once the apostles ceased, so did the gift of prophecy and healing in tongues. There was no longer any need for that because God had given us his full and completed word. We have the word of Christ, and we can go to that, and we can read it. And from Genesis to Revelation, we have everything that he wants us to know about who he is and how we relate to him.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
0: no need for partial revelations anymore or partial prophecies or these lesser versions of prophecy. Right. And so that's our argument. We stand on sola scriptura. And I think that if you would affirm sola scriptura, you can't affirm continuationism. Right. You You've got to, if you agree... That scripture is fully sufficient. You can't hold to a continuationist idea that scripture is fully sufficient, but there's still this lesser prophecy and this lesser things because then you're going back to... Then it's not fully sufficient. Then it's not fully sufficient or it's not needed. Yeah,
1: I, I think similar to kind of what we said last week, we have to go back to the Word. If anything in the past year, that's really what been pressed on my heart. This type of stuff that we're talking about today, coupled with eschatology, were the two biggest points of confusion for me throughout all of college. And I think it really affected, number one, the way that I saw our relationship with Christ as a church, you know, mm. but it also affected the way that I viewed ministry, the world around me. It effect- It really affects a in ways that we don't realize when we are not going to the Word for certain things and we're relying on those around us or maybe the church we grew up in or maybe the church that we look to.
0: Right. And I think that that's so important because the Word is our foundation, which is what we started with. Mm -hmm. And if the house is going to stand through storms and trials and tests and all of that, it's got to have a strong foundation. Yeah. If our foundation is not the Word of God, then we're not going to stand trials and tests and waves that come the reason that this is so important to me and i would say probably for you as well is that we're not wanting to just be right here we're not saying that what we're saying is right what we're saying is that god's word is sufficient and he's told us that and because it's sufficient we can trust everything that it says And it speaks to all of life. Mm -hmm. So when we face storms, when we face trials, the way that I view God and the way that I hear from God is not based on some fallible person or their interpretation of what God's saying. I can go directly to God because I have an advocate in Christ who sits Mm -hmm. at the right hand of the Father. And he's interceding for me on my behalf. I have a relationship with God the Father because I have been adopted into the family I've been baptized with Christ. And this is something that we didn't even get into. But so when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I know what a lot of Pentecostals believe is that you get saved, but then you also have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's the moment that you can visibly see that from speaking in tongues. So, when somebody speaks in tongues, they're showing that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what they're doing is they're adding to salvation. They're adding to what God said salvation looks like. They're changing and, and twisting the gospel at that point. So the, the verse that I would go to to talk about that is 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 and 13. Even as the body is one, and yet many members and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether jew or greek whether slaves or free and we're all made to drink of one spirit. What Paul is telling us here is that we were all baptized into one body which is Christ and at that moment we were made to drink of one spirit. And the body is made up of many members and all of these members are the body that they are many they are the body so also is Christ. So question to somebody that would hold to the understanding that we get saved and then at some point later we have to then be baptized into the Spirit is, would you affirm then that there are Christians who are not baptized into the Spirit that make up the body of Christ? Right. Because once we're saved, we're baptized in one Spirit and we make up one body and we are the body of Christ. You don't see any room for somebody gets saved, and then they're in this holding place until they get f- baptized in the Spirit, and then they're speaking in tongues, and now they're a full Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We do see that we should strive to be filled with the Spirit continually, but that's a, a sanctification thing. Right. That's not a justification thing. Mm-hmm. The moment we're justified of our sin, we're filled with the Spirit, right? We're baptized with Christ, we're baptized in one Spirit, Uh, We're all made to drink of one spirit. And then Christ continually fills us with his spirit, making us more and more in his image. Right. But so that would kind of be my quick rebuttal to that. But that goes back to my point. That's why we need the sufficiency of scripture. Mm -hmm. We need to be in the word. We don't need to be feeling driven. We don't need to be emotional driven. What we need is people that are not experientially driven. I think a lot of our culture today is really driven by experientialism, what I'm experiencing and feeling and this heightened emotion. And if you look at Bethel and you look at, you know, all these conglomerates in the Christian music industry, yeah. a lot of what they're pushing is this feeling. Yeah. But if we're founded on God's word, then we're anchored in God's word and we're not emotionally driven and experientially driven. Therefore, us having a prayer language that we don't understand isn't needed because we're not driven based off of experience right. you know we can actually talk to the lord and he hears us and he answers us through his word and we can hear that and read that and see that it's a relational thing it's mm-hmm. not an experiential thing right we're we're taking what God has said that we can see and we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can test it. We can try it. We can know it. We can do all of those things and we're putting it into the abstract where we're now, well, we can't test that prophecy because it's kind of true, but kind of not. We can't test that tongue because it's not a tongue of men. It's a tongue of angels. We've just gotten out into this experiential thing and it's become this big emotionally charged, emotionally driven thing. But what I love about the solas is strips all that away. Mm-hmm. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone is sufficient and I can rest in that and I can know that to be true and I can read his word and it speaks to all of life.
1: Right. Yeah. And kind of what you were saying, it brings me back to, and we'll we'll probably talk about this later on in some later episode, but I think that that being experientially driven has led to what we see within the church of this kind of disunity, particularly when curveballs are thrown like COVID, you know, you've got mm. so much division all of a sudden. Well, not all of a sudden, but you've got so much division over what to do about that and mm-hmm. over what to do about the social justice stuff and over what to do about, you know, LGBTQ stuff. And, no. and, and I would say that one of the major reasons why is what you were just saying is that, we are more tethered to the experiences that we have with the Lord and the experiences that we have with other people than we are to the words of the Lord. Right, And the words of the Lord are what are supposed to be dwelling within us richly. Right, right. Yeah. So I think that that, if we would get back to sola scriptura, if we would get back to having the Word of God being the standard by which we hold everything else too, I think that you'll see a lot more unity when certain things come our way as well.
0: Well and I, I think so. that goes back to people need to abide and rest in Christ. right. I, I'm taken to the, the passage that says, "As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you." There are so many people that aren't being filled with the river of living water. They're not eating from the bread of life. They're being filled with these emotional highs mm-hmm. and these emotional responses, which is kind of like eating at a Chinese buffet. You eat and you're incredibly stuffed, but then 10 minutes later, you're starving again. Mm-hmm. Because well, and there's you also no, eat whatever
1: you want and that yeah. may or may not be good for you. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: We need to get out of the, the Chinese buffet spiritually and go back to the bread of life and the the river of living water mm. uh, because that will truly nourish our soul and it will nourish our soul for all of eternity. It makes us this tree planted at the river. And so we're not just eating for a minute and getting full and then we leave and we're we're start so like you see that with me being a youth pastor, you see a lot of people they go off on these youth retreats and it's this emotional hyped high. Right. And they're just feasting at the Chinese buffet. And then as soon as you come home, they're, they're starving again because mm. the emotion is gone and there's been no actual, there, there, there's no abiding in Christ. There's no resting in Christ. There's no relationship with him at all. It's mm. just been an emotional thing. Yeah. So that's why we're, we're, we're going back and pushing on these things. And they're all tying back into if we worship God as he desires to be worshiped, we can love each other as he desires for us to love each other. And I think that's the, the ultimate issue is we need to worship God as he desires to be worshipped so that we can be the body of Christ, that we can love others, that we can not be divided over all these different issues. If, if we're seeking after God and he is the head of the church, Christ is the head of the church, then he is going to be steering us all in the same direction, and there's not going to be this disunity within right. the global church. If, if he is the head of all of us, we will be glorifying him, mm-hmm. you know. But for him to be the head, we have to understand that his word is the foundation. Right. And that's the, the whole point. That's the takeaway today. So not to continue kicking a dead mule, but Christ's word is sufficient. It is all that we need. It is our... Cornerstone, It is our foundation. Mm-hmm. And Christ is our anchor. And if that is so, then we will be the body that he's called us to be. Right. We will love our neighbors as he has first loved us. So that's our hope. That's our prayer for you guys. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. If you have questions, we would love to hear them. You can message us at locus and Honey on Facebook. But I know that this is a, a big topic and we don't want to just leave it all right there. So feel free to reach out to us. If you would like to hear us cover other questions or topics, then let us know. We would enjoy it. And if not, I hope that you all have a good Lord's Day. Thank you for being here to this point. We hope to see you next week.
1: Yep. Hopefully my voice is back and I don't have to clear my throat every five seconds. Y'all have a good Lord's Day. Yes, sir. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.